Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Please listen carefully. What is communication? The act of taking a thought from my head and putting it into your essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Usually what I have in my head to the outside world draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. I think it's the ability to share your innermost feelings and thoughts with others. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science Episode 69, proud member of the Exceptional Podcast Network. Uh, Make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And check out everything over there on the XPN Network. I'm Matt Hot. Happy to be joined all the way out in Philadelphia by Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And down in middle of nowhere, Kentucky, Michelle Wintering. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Hi. <laughs> and joining us from See, Hear, Speak, Tiffany Hogan. Hello. Guys, we've made it almost 70 episodes. It is like a lifespan in the medieval times. That's how long we've made it as a podcast. I'm so happy that you guys get to join us. Make sure you do everything you want to to get a hold of us. Give us a phone call at 614-681-1798. Or if you're a typer, not a talker, uh, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Michael McLeod, start us off. How has your week been? So you were saying that podcast in the medieval times went for 70 episodes? Well, no, like the human would live to like 60 to 70 (laughs) years age, and we've made it to almost 70 episodes. We are an old man in medieval times. That's very, it's very inspiring. (laughs) It's good stuff. How's your week been? What, what is exciting on the research front? Uh, so pretty much just putting the final touches on that, uh, just about done with the final testing. Now it's time to really do all that, uh, that mathematical stuff that I love so much. So I'll be taking a stats. Taking a deep dive into that and uh, getting it together into a nice, well-read research essay, uh, looking to get it published. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure that'll be quite the journey. And uh, and yeah, so definitely getting into the into the nitty gritty right now. Now I don't want to give away anything on your study if you don't want to give it away. But how big is your study? How it many? Is, it is very small, very very small. So it took place at a school, so it's less less than ten students. <clears throat> Okay, so yep. what kind of study is that then? Is that considered like an introductory or? What yeah, is- yeah, it's it's basically a pilot study. So basically, one of the biggest things that we can conclude from this research is that a much larger research needs to take place. So, okay. Very so, cool. so we're definitely showing some great progress from baseline to final, but one of the major conclusions will be that the research should continue on this specific topic. 
Very cool. Keep us up to date on that. Michelle Wintering, how is keeping baby speech science alive? Hey, it's a day-to-day thing. (laughs) I'm looking at a baby monitor right now as he's turning around and thrashing about in his crib a bit. So if I have to step away, that's why. But... (laughs) Um, That's okay. I keep hearing one ear out for my sick two-year-old. If he starts coughing and you see me run off screen, you know what happened. We'll, we'll cover for each other. We're good. Just fill in. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm doing well in a not speech-related topic, but uh, as you know, being a sports coach yourself, I coached volleyball for five years, partially during grad school. Not the best decision to add a coaching job no. to grad school, but was a great experience nonetheless and i have finally found a open gym to go play some volleyball here in kentucky after moving so hey (laughs) there you go are you coaching yet again or no i'm not coaching not sure if that's going to be on the docket for a little while with uh with baby speech science just with the evening travel schedules and stuff hey i tiffany i don't know if you're a coach but uh there are at least two coaches on here and only one of us has a state title and it's not me <laughs> I you was going to say, did title, you right? get one in bowling? I was going to get really excited. <laughs> no, I thought you guys won state when I came to we watch. We did in Denver. win states okay, when you came yeah. to watch in Colorado. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Shout I'm, out I'm to Cheyenne Mountain High School in Colorado Springs. <laughs> and then joining us from, if you heard me audibly gasp, my five-year-old snuck up behind me in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like. <joining> <laughs> Oh, you got to love podcasting with a family. And joining us from See, Hear, Speak uh, is Tiffany Hogan. Tiffany, one, why did you decide to join us? And two, tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Oh, hello. (laughs) Well, let's see. Why did I decide to join? I'll answer that second. First, I'll introduce myself. I'm Tiffany Hogan. And as you said, I'm the uh, host of See, Hear, Speak podcast by night, but by day, I'm a professor at MGH Institute of Health Professions, and I also direct the Speech and Language Literacy Lab, which I refer to as the SAIL Literacy Lab, and um, I'm actually coming to you from the lab. I had to get out of my house because I have three (laughs) children, and they would not allow any space of quiet in my home. I have a 13-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old, so busy days and nights. And I decided to join the podcast because I'm a big fan and I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. What is the, what is MGH Institute and what is the sale uh, Institute or sale literature yeah. Institute? Yes. So the MGH Institute of Health Professions is the degree granting arm of the MGH hospital, which is Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. So we have, um, we're a graduate school and we grant degrees in speech language pathology, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and a variety of nursing degrees. We also have a PhD program in rehab sciences. And then we also educate reading specialists through our uh, SLP program, and I teach courses in the speech pathology program and also in the reading specialist um, degree. And then the speech and language literacy lab is a research lab within MGH Institute of Health Professions, and I'm the lead of that lab. We have several studies um, funded by NIH to look at development of speech, language, and literacy in children, and we focus on children with dyslexia, developmental language disorders, and speech sound disorders. Well, this might be a first. I think this might be the first time we have two people as like hosts of the show who have 
studies or have done studies or works for a place with studies. I am dumb. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I have not done any studies. And you haven't done any research? No. No. I work in schools and home health care. <laughs> I mean, I did too, but uh, it's fun to, to keep your foot in some research. Well, Tiffany, I'm, I'm so glad you, you joined us, and I hope you, as they say in the old X-Men comics, survive the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll uh, make it through, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. For me, if you can tell with the sniffles or the denasaled sound, I am fighting a wonderful cold uh, that I had all the way through Osla weekend. Uh, I got to stand up there on stage and hold back coughs while I got the Fellowship of the Association Award. So shout out to Osla. That was pretty awesome. Um, Congrats. Thanks. And then I presented on the Schools Caucus and gave out all the information about what you need to know as a school SLP in the state of Ohio. Um, that was nerve-wracking because per, uh, – you know, presenting with me were two of my former supervisors, uh, Janice Wright, who we quote at the end of every episode, and Kathy McDermott. Uh, so I always felt like I had to do better because they were there. So that was my weekend in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. Good weekend. Having fun. But coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about what could make dementia worse. Also, what are the hobbies that might make you smarter? And also the largest study ever. We'll find out if it has any link between vaccines and autism. Uh, I'm going to let you in and guess that it probably doesn't. But <laughs> Michelle, don't don't laugh. We don't know. We have to listen. We have to listen. We don't know yet. But starting off, this one is coming from the BBC One. Um, it's from a show. Do you guys remember the the lost voice comedian on America's Got Talent? Or yes. not America's Got Talent. Britain's mm -hmm. Got Talent? Yep. Well, he, he's doing a show on BBC One called Finding My Voice. And I thought we'd listen to just a short clip. Okay, Jack, are you ready? Yes. If the donors could take it in turns to speak now. Hi, my name is Jack. All right, Bob. The face as long as Livery Street. It's a bit black over Bill's mother's. Boston. Does anyone stand out to you? One in three. Hi, Jack. How are mum and dad? What do you reckon to my new voice? <sighs> wow, Jack. Oh, it's fab. <laughs> Sound like us? <laughs> Do I sound like I'm part of the family now? Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Don't say posh anymore, Jack. <laughs> In fact, I think that's exactly how you talk. Tell rabbits. Tell rabbits. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. What they are doing uh, is that Jack is a AAC user who had a uh, stock AAC voice. And he felt like he didn't fit in with his whole family because he spoke nothing like his family. So the whole episode is on BBC One. We'll have a link down in our show notes. Uh, it's about him almost blind date style, picking out a voice and the whole way they record it uh, to get it into his device. And as a guy who's pushing for AAC, I can't say enough how important this stuff is. Why is Britain doing all this cool stuff with AAC and we're doing nothing? Because we don't have funding. <laughs> For a, a TV show? Come on, man. Oh, okay. I don't I don't know. BBC One is funded by the government. That's all I know. Can we make this an offshoot well, of speech science? Tax money. We're going to do the uh, voice donor blind date style. <laughs> yes. We need a TV deal. 
But no, I, I, oh, sorry, Tiffany. There is a researcher here in Boston who's doing something similar, actually. Rupa Patel has been collecting voices and has a business model where she's uh, working with AAC companies and users. So kind of similar, but not the blind date thing. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that was very cool. Well, and, and from an AAC user and, and being a male SLP, being in the 3%, I'm sorry, almost 4% now of SLPs, I, I know how important it is when we get our high school, high school aged male students and no offense to the female SLPs out there, but you record your voice on the GoTalks. You find the female voice on the device because you're like, oh, that's the teacher. Or that's my voice or whatever. And then I get this 16 year old student weighs 250 pounds, six foot one. And I say, hey man, how's it going? And he answers and he doesn't sound like what his peers are. And then we get surprised that our students don't want to use the devices. Well, I think it makes sense sometimes when you have to use it as a stopgap. Like you just mm -hmm. need something for them to communicate. So recording the therapist's voice makes sense, boy or girl voice. But what I w when I was in the school and we were programming some devices and they weren't super in-depth ones, is I just went across campus and found an adult that they didn't know, you know, a, a, a male that that student didn't know so that his voice could be unique as well among his classmates, which was especially important because we were working with kiddos who were blind and low vision. So oh. um, your voice, otherwise they would hear the device and say, that's Miss Michelle. Like, <laughs> like they knew right away who the voices were. So the voice being unique was so important. Um, so I even had a friend who uh, had nothing to do with the school record for one of my, um, one of my kiddos. Oh, that's a pretty cool idea. Mm -hmm. I think this also opens up such a unique, and I also just pulled up Rupal Patel's uh, page over here as well from Northeastern University. Um, but I think it brings up a unique idea. I never even thought about until I saw this episode, the idea of accents and how important they are. Michelle, you and I went to school in Appalachia, Ohio. <laughs> and Appalachia, Ohio, they don't talk like we do in Cincinnati or Columbus or Philadelphia or uh, Tiffany, you're out in Boston. Mm -hmm. I I'm thinking of, I'm using a PRC device. I don't have a PRC device with a Boston accent. Right, you're not parking <laughs> your car and hopping you off. There's the accent. I was wondering where it came from. <laughs> My friend from Boston says that uh, that you all recycle the R's, that you put them in words that don't have them and then That's drop right, them dear. In, in other words. <laughs> I like that. Well done. Michael, do you do any AAC with your private practice? Oh yeah, absolutely. Is finding the, what do you guys do for finding the voice? I mean, I, I don't know if you have any female SLPs, but how, is it just you that are recording the voice or do no, you pull in family um, and friends? We typically, a lot of the AAC users I have also um, have have their, their AAC tied very closely to their school IEP. Okay. So it's it's a lot of the times it's a very big deal for the private speech therapist to make edits and changes to the AAC uh, without like very consistent communication with the school team. So I've I've definitely made suggestions on on the voice and to change the voice to help with the self image and things like that, but uh, ha haven't really gotten too far with it. So we, we we pretty much tend to use the ones that are on there. Okay. Uh, on the Avaz program, which is one that I always recommend uh, for, for parents to, to start out, uh, that has a lot of really voice options between kids, adults, accents. That's a really good one that has a lot of options. 
what is it called? Avaz, A-V-A-Z. Oh, yeah. I always called it a Vaz. That would be why I didn't know what it was. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a free download from the App Store. You can do a, a free 10-day trial, see if you like it. So that's why I suggest it to a lot of families, just to trial it out. And then from there, you can really transition very nicely to a, to a touch chat or a proloquo, something like that, something, something more advanced. Fair enough. Tip, Tiffany, do you deal with a lot AAC users? I really don't. Oh, okay. What is your background? It's I'm a clinical speech pathologist, oh. but I, I just didn't do much with AAC. Oh, okay. Everyone's got their own little area. I Being in the schools, I get everything. You get to be a generalist <laughs> with a little bit of everything. Well, it's funny. I have a student, and she is not from the Cincinnati area originally. And we spent, her and I spent, she's got a, a reader and because we're working on a couple other things and because i'm the slp tech guy her and i spent probably two days fine-tuning a voice for her reader uh from speed to accent to bass and treble and all this stuff and i was super aggravated at near the end because i was like what more do you want and then now to see her use it and how proud she is that it almost sounds like her real voice i was like okay Mr. Hot's an idiot. Again, you get this. You get this point. You're not an idiot. You worked hard to figure it out. I know, but I was like, "Come on, let's get it over with." And then I realized what she was doing, so I couldn't get too upset. So, don't be so hard on yourself, man. I know. We want to hear from you, though. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Tell us about your trials and tribulations with AAC, or give us a phone call six one four six eight one one seven nine eight. You can find us on Twitter at speech science PC or email us speech science podcast at gmail.com or like Michelle and I figured out today, we now have a password for the Instagram. Yes. Do you know the username? Is it speech underscore science? It is. We have a hey. lot of followers on there, but we haven't posted anything in a long time because we that's didn't have access. To dedicated fans. Dedicated fans out there. That's because Matt lost the password. All right. I expect a lot of picks. All right. I want everyone that is driving to put two hands on the wheel, keep your eyes forward. If you're sitting down at home, stay seated. Uh, this coming out of healthday.com, but it's been all over the news, the largest study ever. And they found no link between vaccines and autism. Specifically the measles vaccine. The measles well. vaccine. Are you sure? Oh my gosh. I hate <laughs> that we have to have this conversation every three months well and this is coming the, out read the article a, all right there's an outbreak yeah. of measles right now too i know there is there is and they said did you see the kid with tetanus did you guys see this Mm-hmm. He's i did like, not uh, yeah it's like 50 days in the hospital yeah so michelle this kid got tetanus his mom didn't vaccinate him so he got like tetanus like tiffany said he was in the hospital for 50 days and then he got taken out, and the mom doesn't want to do any of the follow-up medication or shots to keep him safe. What? I'm drinking my water over here because I'm going to lose my voice by shouting. I didn't even know tetanus was still a thing. Tetanus, rubella, the measles. It, I mentioned the 70-year lifespan of the medieval times when we started. So how can we as therapists... 
besides getting super upset at our families who don't know better, because we've talked about it before. I have a five and a two-year-old. I can see linking anything to anything just to, to make sense why they're sick or why they're injured or whatever. But how can we as therapists, without getting upset like I do, convince parents about these studies or any study that we're using? I mean, if they don't believe autism studies with the vaccines, how are they going to believe us when we mention AAC or aphasia therapy or apraxia or anything else? In this article, the lead researcher, I thought this quote from him was important. That he said, I do not think we can convince the so-called anti-vaxxers. I am more concerned about the perhaps larger group of parents who encounter anti-vaccine pseudoscience and propaganda on the internet and become concerned and uncertain. And those are the people I think that we tend to run into most often. Because he's right. It's going to be really hard to have a conversation with someone who is hard and fast, absolutely anti-vaccine. But how can we reach that population in the middle who is getting just like we talked about i think the last podcast you know they're going to google something and they're going to get not just this article but a whole lot of other ones basically we have to send everyone a link to our podcast (laughs) have them listen to it give us a five-star rating on the itunes store and there you go i like how you you link that in there the five stars five star rating let everyone know I just did a autism and vaccines Google search, and it has 52,200,000 results. Tiffany, how do you guys handle, because you're part of a hospital as well, right? Yeah. So you're seeing more of the frontline stuff than myself in the schools or the private practice folks. Yeah, I think we've been trying to take an approach where we have empathy for why they may be thinking that this is that there's a connection like for instance saying that it can be a bit confusing because first words are developed around or you know merge around the same time that vaccinations occur and this can seem like there's a link but there's been so many studies showing that there's not a link so it's kind of building that kind of rapport and empathy first and then describing the science now does that work for in the clinic <laughs> I would like to say it works uh, more than it does. Okay. Um, and, and I know I spent a little time in clinic and, and it's almost the same idea or similar idea when, when we're working with uh, maybe a family that's not from the U S where disorders or diseases or delays or deficits are not as widely accepted. And the way you describe that sounds kind of like how they taught us in clinic to, to broach the subject of autism or a speech delay or, or anything else. Right. And what we don't want to do is cut off that conversation by being so harsh in our response to it initially that they don't want to talk to us about it anymore. Uh, and they don't want information from us about it either. Uh, I just pulled up an article from the New York Times. I'm sorry, I was going to say the New Yorker. It's from the New York Times. And there's a law uh, trying to get passed that will allow 14-year-old uh, children and up to get vaccinated even without parental consent. Okay. So there's that. I'll put a link down in the show notes. Where is that? Uh, I just found it on the New York Times. This is from March 11th. Oh, is it, today. Is it for the state of New York mm-hmm. or is it? Yes. Okay. For the state of New York. Yes. Okay. I just threw it in our group chat as well. Okay. Thanks. But uh, I mean, it says it allows for a range of diseases, including mumps, diphtheria, whooping cough, tetanus, influenza, hepatitis B, and measles. So there you go. 
this is just a st- tough subject because as a parent, I feel for him. And then as a clinician, I want to wring everyone's necks. And I hate to be so brutally honest. And it could be the Dayquil I'm on as well. But <laughs> just saying. Definitely Hopefully it's not NyQuil yet. Huh? Yeah. I, I mean, was... the article noted the World Health Organization declared vaccine hesitancy mm-hmm. one of the 10 greatest threats to public health. And, and that's just scary because, like, we work in a field where we help students that have autism. And I have kids with autism or OHI or whatever you want to call it in the school system. And they almost make it seem like getting autism, if you could even get autism, is worse than 50 days in the hospital because of tetanus or measles or death. And it just, it makes me very upset in a weird very angry way because it, it our kids with autism are not defective because of even if it was caused by a vaccine they're not defective mm-hmm. we actually on one of our podcasts we, i know we talked about that article from the world health organization mm-hmm. on the 10 greatest threats to public health well i think back on episode 63 or two actually so well, we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Tell us your thoughts on how you handle anti-vaxxers in or in or, in or out of the clinic. I can't even talk. Give us a phone call, 614-681-1798, or email us, speechsciencepodcast, or speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what could make dementia worse and also... What are you and your children doing to make yourselves smarter? We'll find right out. You're listening to Speech Science. This podcast is brought to you by Pearson, the company behind the self, GFTA, and the brand new PPVT5 and EVT3. These new easy-to-use vocabulary assessments are brief and reliable for two years, six months old, to those 90 and beyond. Learn more about these new tests at pearsonclinical.com slash exceptional. That's pearsonclinical.com slash X-C-E-P-T-I-O-N-A-L. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode 69. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, Michelle. And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. I'm answering everyone's highs today. I like it. And, and specially joining us in the fourth chair this week, Tiffany Hogan. Hello. Hello, Tiffany. So tell us a little bit about your podcast, where to find it. What do you guys do on there? Fantastic. So I have a new podcast. I'm a bit of a podcasting newbie. Uh, it is See, Hear, Speak podcast. You can find it at www.seeherspeakpodcast.com. And I um, have interesting conversations with interesting people about speech, language, and literacy in the developing child. That's awesome. Is it like a focus more on pediatrics or is it like birth through 15 or is there like a... Hmm. is it everything it's definitely pediatrics and i'd say after like fifth grade it's more like geriatric to me so (laughs) (laughs) yeah fair enough i uh if you hand me a child under the age of 12 i go i this is way too young for me i have no idea what to do oh too young (laughs) yeah well then i'll pass them off (laughs) these guys have known i've told the story before i worked in a a preschool for a year and 
uh, my son, my oldest son, who's playing a video game right behind me because bedtimes are optional in my house right now <laughs> when daddy's podcasting. Um, he, I would be doing like the cow jumped over the barn all day at school. And then I'd come home and he's like, daddy, let's play barn and trains. And I'm like, I just, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Can I, can I not? I don't want to. <laughs> what happens but, when he's in high school and you're, you know, you're working. Well, with high I'm, I, I'm leaving schools to one day a week. So this is true. Very true. So until he becomes a, an older gentleman, then I'm okay. So, <laughs> But you're you you did literacy, Michael. You love not video games for children development. Michelle, you have a small child. Have you guys seen the Asha Twenty One Day Challenge? Because of you, I have. What a segue! I love it. <laughs> yeah, did you see this? For twenty one days, they want you to read out loud for fifteen minutes every day. Uh, to build a universal read aloud habit. I'm assuming they would like you to read to a child, but if you don't have a child, I guess you could read to your cat or your mirror, I guess. I don't know, but I, I loved it. Like, it's such a cool idea. And they even have a calendar, which I love that gives you suggestions if you don't want to oh, just, just do 15 minutes on your own. You can do their uh -oh. directions, like read a book on shapes and colors today. Read a book about let your child pick the book on their topic today so they give some guidance which is a good way to do it i love that read in a group make a book that's so cool so i love it it, it says daily reading with a child it says <laughs> oh does it say with a child I with a child so a child of any age <laughs> or to a child anywhere <laughs> randomly hey there you go just get on youtube yeah. and just do a youtube live read a book yeah. just facebook lives of all these people reading books <laughs> Guys, I, I think that's great. We that would should be great. do that. Oh, yeah. you, there are face. There are YouTube channels devoted to yeah. adults reading children's books. Actually, yeah, that's <laughs> my, we we took off by the way because I have to be careful with little ears in the room because of the crazy things that have been happening. We have officially killed mm -hmm. YouTube and YouTube kids from every device in our family. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. It's impressive. I figured you would as my son plays Rocket League right behind me. <laughs> you do what you got to do, man. All right, man. But did you see this article coming from the Speech Dynamic? They say, why blocks beat batteries. And as soon as I read this, Michael, I thought of you right away. Thank you, man. I mean, so, tell, so explain to us. I know you've told us multiple times on the show, but as I tell families, take seven unique opportunities to learn a fact. And I've need seven unique opportunities what happens executive functioning wise when I am playing with a f action figure or a block versus playing my Simpsons tapped out video game or Star Trek command fleet fleet command. Sorry. So basically uh, one of the main true aspects of the research study I'm doing is really the true effects of interpersonal relationships and meaningful experiences and how those work to build and foster executive function skills in students. And this is very clearly seen in the differences between blocks and action figures, like Matt said, and then on the flip side, something like a video game. So one of the biggest things to do in terms of building executive function skills is to have those meaningful experiences. Whenever you're using your hand and you're using a toy that is with you within the environment, and manipulating it and having that true cause and effect relationship 
of putting the blocks together, building something, having that that object permanent uh, permanence, the joint attention with somebody else, and having been really building that cognitive flexibility. And one of the biggest things that so few parents really want to talk about, and and some clinicians as well, is truly how important it how important it is to fail, and how important it is to come across something where where you don't it, it doesn't work out as you originally supposed it to be. And that is so easy to do when you're working with something that is real world in the environment. You know, when it's video games, it's not always you achieving it. It's it's the third party. It's the character. It's the team that you're playing on. It's 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 not as realistic. It's not as manipulative as the toys are that you're able to mess around with things, fail, learn, try again, and building that resiliency that allows you to then in turn work on that response inhibition, that emotional control, the self-control, and also the overall working memory in terms of the cause and effect. What worked? What didn't? What should I try next? Thinking in terms of steps, thinking in terms of applying the past to the future and building that that metacognitive piece, the the ability to self-evaluate while you are playing is so much greater in real-world play than in any sort of technological video game play. So Tiffany, what do you guys see out at, uh, at at sale with the amount of kids just reading by themselves versus, you know, tablets? Yeah, well, we have um, several studies looking at working memory, actually, and the relation to literacy and seeing how important executive function is to working memory. And that whole connection to literacy is so critical and important. And I think that, um, you know, that interaction, I'll just build on what Michael said. That interaction is just so critical um, with the you know people, and even thinking about shared reading, tying it to the twenty-one day challenge. All of that interaction is building your working memory capacity uh, related to literacy skills. Yeah, I've been working with a lot of other clinicians um, that are reading specialists, and really tying in the executive function specialty into the literacy piece. And there is a major, major, like when you're young, when you're playing with these blocks, you're really still within the area of nonverbal working memory. And through this play, that's really what you're using in terms of thinking and all those sorts of things. And then once you get into the verbal, gaining that language, gaining that literacy, it's really that transition from nonverbal working memory to verbal working memory that allows you to gain those reading comprehension skills and literacy skills and, and be able to manipulate information, create that visual image in your mind, and have that mental flexibility. So executive functioning is very, very closely tied to literacy. So is this why, and, and my five-year-old's behind me, but like growing up, I, or he, as he was growing up, I couldn't like hide anything from him because he would remember where something was. And now I'm seeing the same thing verbally. Like he'll remember conversations we've had for months ago. And now I'm starting to see it with my two-year-old. And I've said on the show before, I've spent way too much money than I'd like to admit on action figures and dinosaurs and blocks. And we have, if you see over my right shoulder, a table of like 20 different Lego sets. Is that kind of that whole same idea? That's exactly what it is. See, you have been doing research this whole time. So there you go. My wallet right, your has own been home. doing research. <laughs> right in your own home on your own child. But, that, but is how... a, that is exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's thinking in terms of pictures, thinking in terms of 
that's why kids tend to have that that black and white thinking. It's the it's the it's the the visual nonverbal working memory. That it's so much less ability to manipulate the internal language piece, the self-directed talk piece that you need in order to interpret written language and, and build those literacy skills and manipulate it in your mind and apply it appropriately in a literacy group or a classroom. So then Tiffany, I'm going to pick on you for a second mm -hmm. or, or pick your brain for a second. How do you transition kids then from blocks and toys to involved readers? Cause I have a lot of kids on my caseload that I can throw a Lego set in front of them and they can totally put it together. But if I give them a grade or age appropriate level reading, even high interest, I get nowhere. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, you talked about the high interest and, and what we see is tying it to the interest they have. So if it's Legos, making it purpose driven. So even just reading the Lego manual or a book that focuses in Legos, then it can tie that interest level and it makes it purpose driven. If there's a purpose behind it, then you get the buy-in, and then that buy-in leads to hopefully more reading. That makes sense. And then also, I will say, um, tying into what Michael said too about the working memory aspect, we, you know, we see that that, for instance, updating. So when you have you know verbal working memory, and you have to update new information as it comes in. So you're holding in your old information, updating new information. That directly relates relates to reading comprehension and having to take in new information as you're reading and, and you're constantly updating that story or updating that schema, that representation, it's a nicely uh, direct tie. So I'm gonna put you guys on the spot. Michael, what book or project are you working on that is similar to what we're talking about? Well, are you reading anything? Yeah, yeah, I'm always I'm always reading like different like executive function books. Right now, I'm right now I'm reading something called uh, the Re the Resiliency Project, which is a great okay. book. So, is that I was really hoping somebody would say something so that I didn't feel like an idiot. I'm reading Ready Player 1. Tiffany, are you reading or doing anything like that? <laughs> I just got a new book called Brain Words: How the Science of Reading Informs Teaching. So, I've been thinking a lot about um, how how to get the science into the classroom. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I'm thinking about that. And then I think, I don't remember who linked this one in the group chat, the truly mind article about the seven hobbies that can make you smarter. Reading is number two. Musical instrument is number one. Uh, meditating, working out your brain, exercising, learning a new language and writing your feelings down. So what is it, Michael and Tiffany, I'm going to let you guys, debate here and educate me as Michelle just got back on camera. Michelle, quickly, what book are you reading? What book am I reading? Sorry, had to step away from baby speech <laughs> science. Just any book? What book am I reading? <laughs> yeah, I'm reading Ready Player One. Michael and Tiffany are reading smart books. Gosh, I am struggling through the seven-story mountain right now for a book club. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to let Michael and Tiffany here educate us. What is it about reading then that leads to the better language skills overall? Well, well, reading just obviously the obvious choice is that it just it, it exposes you to so much more language and ideas and and you know whether it's vocabulary, morphology, semantics, uh, uh, pragmatic language, literacy just is just r literally opens up a brand new world of language to, to readers and the ability to manipulate it and interpret it as you see fit and tie together all the different story elements together. 
just the overall exposure is something you can only get from reading and only getting to expose yourself from reading because you're not going to really get that from your natural environment. And there's a lot of inferencing involved in reading too. I'll tie on to what Michael yeah. said is, you know, you have, you have to fill in a lot of gaps when you're reading you're, it's decontextualized. So you're not getting nonverbal cues. You're not getting any of those um, social cues. You have to infer them from the text. And that is a, a, a tricky task. And the more you do that, the better you become. It's funny you said that too, because um, like I mentioned, this Thomas Merton book that I'm reading, that's a big, thick thing for this book club. And so I'm trying to get through it this <laughs> month. And um, one thing that's helped me a little bit is to get some of the the verbal cues because I've started when I'm doing something around the house, listening to some of the audio book and then I'm reading it at night and it's helping so much at times <laughs> with this book in particular, because, um, because I'm struggling with some of the, just the dense book that it is. But, um, but I get why that inferencing skill is so important. I had done an activity with some of my high schoolers uh, when I was in the schools where they would get so stuck on those words that they don't know instead of learning to use the context cues for them with um, context clues when reading. So basically we just said, you're not allowed to stop and tell them, like, you're just going to keep going. We'll come back to the word later. And most of the time when we'd go back to it, they'd realize that they could figure out what it meant based on reading the next paragraph or continuing what they were already doing. So... I feel like this conversation could last another couple of hours, but unfortunately I'm going to have to pause it right there because we only got so much time before the podcast is over. So we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. From there, you can give us a phone call, 614-681-1798, or email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or hashtag speechscience, and we will find it for you. So just kind of segueing a little bit, evidently too much TV or battery time when you're young might be bad for you or is bad for you. And evidently too much TV time after the age of 50 is also bad. This article is coming out of Express uh, out of the UK, and it was a research study of 3,662 adults uh, from 2008 to 2015. And they found that those who watch TV for more than three and a half hours per day experienced an 8 to 10% decrease in verbal memory. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, now Mike. i got to bleep it, Michael. I haven't had to bleep anything on this show in 15 episodes, and I, that's the one you use? Uh, well, actually, you're the one who told me I could use that one probably yeah, 30 episodes I, ago. I still have to bleep it, though. I just I just let you know. we got to keep our G rating. But... Uh. Three and a half hours per day. So that is three episodes of Game of Thrones and the news. Which Netflix and Hulu and every other app is just feeding into oh. for all of us right now. <laughs> Who watches Game of Thrones and then the news? <laughs> me? One hand is raised. Matt's like, it's me. <laughs> hey, before I go to bed, I do want to know what happened today. <laughs> I think that actually delays dementia, that combination of shows. But no, why is it, is this the same idea that happens with adults that it happens with kids? Yes. Oh, well, thanks. That was very descriptive, Michael. That was helpful. I now Mike understand. Mike is just doing short answers concise tonight. <laughs> 
but okay so michael you do you don't work with adults do you uh very few very few. very few tiffany do you work with adults no i don't no michelle i did in el paso but i'm not currently no i do home care but when i used to work in some of the nursing homes it was uh, I, I don't want to say like the way i would always explain it to a parent or like adults or their kids is that there's reactive learning and there's active learning. And the reactive part is your brain is just absorbing everything from the news. And I'd walk into a nursing home and my patient has been sitting in front of his TV or her TV from lunch and then got dinner in front of the TV. And Oh, by the way, I'm there at six 30 and I think they've gotten TV for seven hours mm. in a row. That's why those rec therapists and music therapists and those other people are so important in places like skilled nursing facilities and even home health care and hospice and respite care. But maybe it goes back to the executive functioning that we were just talking about with, you know, that Michael was mentioning with the social interactions and the executive functioning aspect that if you're interacting, you're not really interacting when you're watching TV. Exactly. And, and when you're watching TV, you're also just sitting there. You're sedentary, as they say. So you're just, you know, that's, that's almost worse for the brain than, than eating junk food is just sitting there set without moving. So I think it's a com- it's not just watching the TV. It's kind of what your body's doing overall. Hmm. Have so, you? Sorry. Oops, sorry. Go for it, um, Michelle. Have Have any of you heard of the that book? This just jogged my memory. The Five Love Languages. Yes. They talk about um, basically how people receive love, right? Whether it's in a dating relationship or with your children, you can apply it to different things. And I'm I'm going to get them wrong, but I know um, words of affirmation, quality time. Uh, physical touch gifts and i'm blanking on the last service it's like service service. acts of service and i remember specifically it talking about quality time and it says quality time is not (laughs) sitting and watching a show together oh yeah so for example and and i thought that really stuck with me because you might think you're spending time with this person and they might think that they're interacting with someone else but we're cutting off that interpersonal part um like you said you're just absorbing it instead of actually expressive receptive right there you go so that would be a great argument for all the parents that say playing Fortnite is a social thing for my, for my my kid to do because he's playing with his friends and he's talking to his friends and they're strategizing together but they're not that's it they're they're cutting it off because parents are have truly convinced themselves because they don't want to battle with their kids anymore that Fortnite is a social thing and it's good for their kid to socialize and play because this is the new technology of so of being social, but no, it's 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 what Michelle just said. It's not a love language. Well, when you were talking about that, I, I was thinking back. I haven't had to go on a first date in a long time. I've been married since 2011 and dated her in college. But like, I would always remember, like as a first date, you would the the big like no no was not to go to the movies, right? Because then you would yeah. like you don't talk, yeah, like. You know nothing like, about hey, them by the end of that date. <laughs> we just spent three hours together and we watched a funny movie, but I have no idea anything. And well, it's now 11 o'clock time to go home. 
So I guess I have a question, and maybe I'm an idiot, and and I'm afraid to even I'm gonna say this cut and you look off. at. You're not allowed Michael. to call yourself an idiot anymore well, on no, the podcast because I'm afraid to ask this question in front of Michael and and Tiffany. Uh, Michelle, you're fine because you're not a researcher, so you won't judge me. I'm not a researcher. Like... I worked in a research lab all of grad oh, yeah. school. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just the non-researcher here. All right. But okay. So my question would be: This study looked at TV time for adults and and decrease. Is there a study or could there be a study done to see if strategy games do the same thing for adults over the age of 50? Yes, and that has been done. Has it really? I was say, yes. I bet it really? has. Yes. Oh. And what that research showed. And I'm was guessing that... it didn't show that my life as a future video game player in the nursing home is not a good plan. Fortnite in the nursing home. <laughs> what did it show? it showed that the individuals who played those strategy games got really good at those strategy games. Oh, that's not, it? Not at other things in life. Not much carryover. There you go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Zero carryover. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, go for it, Michelle. No, I'm just I was uber just disappointed. thinking, too, this ties right in it, just with our daily habits, right? But what, what hobbies are going to – weren't we going to talk about that article? The oh. seven hobbies to make you smarter. We did when you were looking at baby speech signs. Oh, I missed it. How did I miss that? But, okay, so I'm disappointed for two reasons. One, I thought that might be my way to get my PhD, was to look at that. And then second, also disappointed that my brain's not going to get smarter playing those games. You can do another study on it for your PhD. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, you build on research, just like Mike is doing the initial true. study on something. You just have to take it further. Mm-hmm. So if all these stuff is bad, why do we have so much? And I know I'm asking a, a panel of SLPs why video games are so popular, but I don't know. Is there anything we could do other than be the lone voice in the hallway yelling, play with toys and read a book? Not really. It's, it's, a, it's a billion, billion, billion dollar industry. That's exactly what it is. Do things like the ASHA challenge this month. We need to do yeah, that kind point. of stuff there with our go. patients and our clients. There you go. Yeah. That works. <laughs> okay. Cut, <laughs> cut out my answer and just leave theirs. <laughs> no, I, I'll leave yours in there. But no, like, I, this even makes me sad. Have you guys seen the Netflix documentary, The Toys That Made Us? I have no. not. I think I have, actually. So it's a really cool series. They kind of give the background history of every toy. Oh, cool. So I should go watch TV about these. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is they were talking about Legos. And Legos was losing a lot of money. And the way they had to make money to keep Legos open was make Lego video games. Which is super disappointing. Really? Yeah. I think all they needed to do is videotape people building Lego things and put it on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. But, but yeah, no, I know one of the most popular games that like my kids have played and like my friends' kids have played is the Lego Star Wars games, where you get to be oh, the yeah. Star Wars characters, but they're Legos. Plus the Lego movies series. And the Lego movies. Lego movies are oh. very popular. Well, I feel like we just ended on a downer. Oh, thanks, Matt. <sighs> oh, well, 21 day challenge. We'll end on that one. <laughs> Go read to a kid, hopefully your own, for 15 minutes a day. <laughs> Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, I lost, I forgot what our own email address was speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call, 614 
681-1798. Let's wrap this puppy up and send it home like we normally do. Tiffany, we will start with you. Plug your show and tell us something fun or exciting that you're going to be doing in the next week. Okay, so podcast, seehearspeakpodcast.com. And I'm going to be releasing a new podcast soon where I speak with uh, Emily Zimmerman about uh, feeding as the new play. So she focuses on, yeah, she focuses on pediatric feeding and language development. So it should be interesting and I'm excited to get it out in the next week or so. Michael, beat that. What are you doing this week? I am definitely not beating that. I am uh, <laughs> I'm traveling to uh, to Maryland for a conference on Friday. So I'll be there okay. off for Friday. Uh, pretty much shifted my whole schedule around for the week. So what I, what I used to do on Friday, I'm now doing on Tuesday, crammed it in there. Ooh, uh, I feel for you. Yeah, so I'll be in Annapolis, Maryland on Friday with some great group of people. And yeah, it'll be awesome. That's awesome. And Michelle, what are you doing this week that is uh, fun and or exciting? Fun and or exciting. I am trying to lay some groundwork for um, my website that I'm working on. Uh, Ooh. And then I think I mentioned it last week, but the American Hippotherapy Association biannual conference is in Lexington in another week so I have a friend coming in from El Paso I used to volunteer at Compadres Therapy there doing some hippotherapy and hoping I can get maybe an interview with someone from there for the podcast do it we shall see um I may make you guys happy and make my wife super upset but in Sunday is the largest toy show in Ohio and uh, I'm going to take my boys up there and we go and buy old toys that I had as a kid and we buy them for cheap and let my boys destroy them in any way they would like to. And uh, right now they have and are enjoying the old X-Men toys I had as a kid. So. Oh, what happens when a five-year-old is up past 1030? He jumps on your podcast. Future podcaster. <laughs> He's in training really, already. He he actually will narrate anytime we go anywhere. He will say, all right, kids, we're going to be doing this. So it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. He's learned I have ruined dad. my I've ruined my son. <laughs> but hey, at least I buy my kids toys instead of video games. That's right. Oh, our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share a like license. Our bump music is The Spellbreaker by Tritachion. It's licensed under an attribution license. And our closing music, which is playing right now, that's The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, who I got to present with this weekend, always be a willow because in a storm, the mighty oak, it will crack. The willow will bend but return to shape once the storm is over. For Tiffany Hogan, Michelle Wintering, and Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot. Till next week. So long, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks. Awesome job. Matt, job I'm guys. a little insulted that you said I'm not a researcher, even though you were at ASHA with me when I presented. <laughs> you were. <laughs> right. Not a researcher. Ouch. Like. <laughs>
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.